This is The Topic is Trek, episode 127, for Friday, November 11th, 2022. Coming up in this episode, Picard says everything must go. We visit some very strange new worlds. Prodigy is up for a major award, and it's not a lamp. All that and more right now on The Topic is Trek. Fire Folks Gone Torpedoes. Welcome to The Topic is Trek, the podcast that runs on impulse power. Join us for a journey where no show has gone before. If it has to do with Star Trek, there's a good chance we'll talk about it. Sooner or later, because on this show, the topic is Trek. Engage already! Well, hello everyone. My name is Clinton and welcome to another thrill-packed episode of The Topic is Trek, the show where we talk about uh, we've, we've talked about Night Court and Dolly Parton, all sorts of things getting ready to do the show. But no, really, the topic is Star Trek, in case there was any question about that. And we can't, I can't be a co-host without having other hosts. That makes sense, right? So beaming in to join me is Mr. Chuck Tomasi. I borrowed the cool transporter from the Klingons. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, we've 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 upgraded here. <laughs> you, Craig, Craig can have the old fashioned TOS one. I got the Klingon transporter. It's kind of the hand crank version when you compare it to that one. And so unfortunately, it's so dark in here. <laughs> it's always dark in Klingon ships. You ever notice that? I, I did. They must have really good eyesight, or they just bump into things a lot, and that's how they got the ridges. From just oh, that sounds they like a racist like... remark. <laughs> what that they hit their heads? Is it a racist remark if it's a fictional race? I uh, I don't know. Those are questions to ponder. <laughs> but this is not the topic is pondering. This is the topic is Trek. Unfortunately, our other co-host, uh, Mr. Craig Stepp, has just lost a dear friend and is taking some time away from the microphone for this episode. Our deepest sympathies go out to Craig and the family of Craig's friend. Yes, absolutely. That's it's very sad when someone close to you passes away. Indeed, indeed. So we will try to uh, cheer up the room by uh, talking about all things Trek. And of course, the best way I know how to cheer (laughs) myself up is to force myself to ask Charlie X. I mean, last episode, if you were listening, we had a very special guest person in and that can happen again, Charlie. So let me ask you. Are we set for subspace chatter? You don't need all that subspace chatter. Okay, here we go. He's back. <laughs> I'm going to look into some more special guests. I'm just saying. Well, story number one, hot on the heels of Strange New Worlds winning a Saturn Award for Best Streaming Sci-Fi Series, the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences have announced the nominations for the first annual Children and Family Emmy Awards. These awards are the first standalone expansion of the Emmy Award competition since 1979. Yikes. 
There are 50 categories that are being awarded for various achievements. Prodigy will be competing at the highest level in the Outstanding Animated Series category. Its competition will be City of Ghosts, The Cuphead Show, and A Tale Dark and Grim, all from Netflix. And The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, from Disney+. The awards will be presented on Saturday, December 10th, and Sunday, December 11th, at the Wilshire Ebel Theater in Los Angeles. Go, Prodigy! So my assumption is that if it's the category is, you know, like best animated series, it's not going to be in the creative arts one. It's going to be in the main announcements on, on Sunday, December 11th. So we will keep an eye out for that one. I, I've only seen one of the other nominees. I have seen the cuphead show, but I, I'm not familiar with the other shows. Have you watched any None of, of those ring a bell with me? <laughs> the closest I got was a tale dark and grim. like, I watched grim. Oh, not that grim. <laughs> no, it's not. No, not the same thing at all. Well, so we'll keep you informed on that when we hear whether or not Prodigy is one, and clearly it should. But anyway, next story is Slash Film has posted a Star Trek beginner's guide. It offers suggestions on where to start watching the franchise. Mm. So you're, you're, you've you never seen Trek before, and you, you want to dive in because you've you know, this got a long storied 56 year history going on here. <laughs> so they recommend not starting with TOS since it's visually and totally different from Trek in 2022. And certainly it is. If you were to look at the original series, which even after the next generation started was referred to as, well, that cheesy kind of sets on there. Um, So they say, okay, so don't start with that. Don't start with any of the series pilot episodes. And I think that's, that's a good one. Good, yeah. Good rule to live by. Yeah. A lot of the pilots are just kind of, well, it's going to take them a season to get their legs on, on the show. They also say, stay away from the most popular episodes such as mirror mirror and the best of both worlds. <laughs> all right. So we could go on and on about all the things you shouldn't start with. Yeah, Where should you, you start? Ahead? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and read the article for yourself and find out what they suggest. And you can find a link to the article in the show notes for episode 127 over at the topic is trek.com. Oh, you tease. I, uh, I know. I know. If, if you were writing this article, I assume you probably read it already, but if you were writing, where would you suggest one begins? Well, I understand the point about not starting with TOS. I feel like everything else kind of, shoots off of that, which makes it a tough thing not to do. So I would say do the second best thing and start off with the next generation because Mm -hmm. you need to have, I think you need to have something that you're going to understand the references. Yeah. And if you skip next generation as well and go straight to say like deep space nine, well, that's like an offshoot type of aspect of, really of Trek of that era. So it's setting the wrong tone for what the other shows are going to be like. Yeah. Lots of references. At first I thought, well, prodigy, because they stop and explain things like the difference between the Federation and Starfleet. But even there, you still have lots of back references. Who's Janeway? Why is she there? That kind of thing. Right. So I, I, that's my best. What about you? What would you think would be the place to start? I would agree. It's it's got to be T uh, TNG, uh, but I can't 
like quite nailed down specifics, it would probably be in the second season. <clears throat> uh, because, you know, a lot of the, hey, if you watch the first season, then you don't need to watch some of the TOS episodes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's right and you don't have to you don't even have to wonder well who is Tashiar? you've never seen her but then, but then all of a sudden she shows up in yesterday's enterprise and you're going well what is all this then yeah you would have to you would you would have to eventually go back and watch them all all right we're not going back we're going forward to the next story wow that's a great segue i should actually use that one every single time even though it makes no sense to use it other places and the first thing in this next story is looking back <laughs> Ah, <laughs> we are. Darn it. We are. We, we need to slingshot around the sun one more time here. Clinton. <laughs> this past Halloween, it seems that everyone was posting pictures that showed a spirit Halloween costume package with made up costumes inside. Trek fans took this idea and ran with it. Trekmovie.com has listed some of their favorites. For instance, the old age Harry Kim costume, which you guessed it is a Voyager era Starfleet uniform with a single pip, always an ensign. Very oh, well hey. done. Or maybe you prefer the NX-01 decon chamber costume, a pair of shorts and an included canister of gel. Actually, the shorts they include are like long pants compared to what they were wearing. <laughs> uh, yeah, not the hot <laughs> pants. <then. laughs> How about one of those who simply want to dress as a plain, simple tailor. The costume includes needle, thread, shears, explode. What is it? Build your own costume. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are the these are the accessories. Uh, oh, okay. Chalk, an untraceable phaser, encrypted pad, and a thimble. And from the whoa harsh section, an Alexander's dad costume that is just an empty package. Ooh. Wow. wow, burn. Just a sick burn. <laughs> there are more, and you can find a link to the article in the show notes for episode 127. Again, over at the topic is trek.com. I, I think my favorite one that I saw was the one that was all like washed out on the cover. In fact, I thought the person taking a picture used a flash and it reflected off the plastic packaging. Oh it yeah. was it was the JJ Abrams costume where it was just a big lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a Medusan. That's a lens flare. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard out loud when I saw that one. All right. Uh, so let's move on to our next story. At New York Comic Con last month, in response to a question from a Trek fan, Alex Kurtzman said that there have been talks about bringing back live action Janeway. But that was all. The panel went on to the next question. You kind of left going, hmm? Well, when actress Kate Mulgrew was in Bloomington, Indiana a few weeks ago to visit the Catherine Janeway birthplace marker, she held a fan Q&A and the subject came up again. Mulgrew said that there seems to be some interest, but she had some specific conditions she laid out for Kurtzman. Quoting Mulgrew, and I will not do the voice, <laughs> I said to Kurtzman, the writing is going to have to be absolutely exquisite. And as tight, I mean so tight, I want that language to just burst. And I want the story to be so tremendous and taut, I said, no languishing. I don't want peaks and valleys. I want a Janeway that everybody can say, that's what she's become. I'm with her. This is great, right? And I think some of uh, some sort of extraordinary adventure, even greater than Voyager, even greater than the Delta Quadrant. Now, we all recall that Patrick Stewart had similar specific requests for his return to the role of Jean-Luc Picard, 
So is a Star Trek Janeway series right around the corner? Well, that's hard to say, but we'll keep you up to date if we hear anything. I thought you said you weren't going to do the Janeway voice. I What? You did a oh, great got... Janeway. Well, <laughs> I would say that no, no, this, the Kate Hepburn yeah, was the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, Catherine, uh, we've Catherine, got a, we've got a comment here. Yes. Mr. Diane. Uh, recommending starting with, uh, let's see. Oh, yes. Well, hmm. That's a, it's a, I, I clicked on that. It's a self-promotional plug in a way. That's a reference to my Star Trek Red Shirts video on YouTube. This is a highly recommend people start with this YouTube episode, Star Trek Red Shirts. You'll learn all you need to know. I, I got up to the part where it says, I highly recommend people start with this YouTube series. And I'm like, hey, she she says, point them to our podcast. That's not... <laughs> well, that's that's understood. That's then clearly I, understood. Then I kept reading. <laughs> and Red Shirts will come up later in this episode, guaranteed. All right. Also coming up is an auction from Prop Store. PropStore.com, one of the world's leading, uh, I'm sorry, this came from StarTrek.com. Prop Store, one of the world's leading entertainment memorabilia auctioneers, is in association with Paramount Consumer Productions and Experiences. And they announced today that the first ever Star Trek Picard seasons one and two auction online. Not season three, just one and two. Right. So for the first time ever, over 300 original costumes, props, set decorations, and behind-the-scenes memorabilia from seasons one and two of the television series Star Trek Picard will be offered in this online auction. Collectors will have the opportunity to own authentic pieces of the Star Trek universe. Bidding begins at 12 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, November 15th, and concludes two weeks later on November 29th. So it's going to, during Thanksgiving. They're going to be doing this. It's huh? going to be like eBay. Everything's going to ramp up on Tuesday, the 29th. Uh, highlights of the upcoming auction. There's many of them in here. They include things like uh, seven of nines light up phaser rifle. If you've got you know, a cool eight to twelve thousand dollars. The Romulan mother of all disruptors from season two. Let's see. Uh the Elnor Stunt Romulan Warrior costume with Stunt Tonkalank uh, sword. I can't pronounce that. That's I'm not easy Romulan. for you to say. Right. Uh, the Jean-Luc Picard Stunt Leather Jacket costume with La Serena Com Badge from Season 1. Let's see. What's the priciest thing on here? That might have been it at the top was the uh, light-up laser rifle. Uh, I thought I saw the picture. Yes, the... Uh, oh, no, the Dodge and Soji, Soji necklace from season one. I mm. thought the artwork was in there. Uh, oh, they, uh, yeah, the it's, uh, bu- 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 I just was past that one now. Uh, a Data's daughter framed painting. Yes. That's what you mean? With yep. a back turn from season one, that's six to $8,000. When, when a lot she, of these are six to eight thousand dollars. There's a there's a recurring theme here of six to eight thousand dollars. That's the estimated value. Uh, we did yes. see that on the Star Trek cruise. They had that one aboard, so it'd be sad that it's now going to be gone. Unless there are replicas out there that they can bring for future cruises, no one will ever know. Uh, each item, of course, comes with a certificate of certificate of authenticity signed by executive producer Alex Kurtzman. And additionally. There is a Leonard Nimoy personal contacts 645 camera equipment with photos from the collection of Leonard Nimoy that were donated by the Nimoy family. And 100% of those proceeds from that sale will be donated 
to uh, the uh, donated by the Nimoy family in memory of Leonard Nimoy to support the UCLA Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Diseases COPD Research Program under Dr. John Belperio. So good on them for uh, stepping that up. The Nimoy family has been funding Dr. Belperio's COPD research since Nimoy's death in 2015. Indeed. So worthy cause there. Um, it, uh, Interesting that it's the camera and some photos as well. So it's a, it's a nice little. After I'm gone, you can have my phone and whatever's on it. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a, well, it's a, what is the camera? And well, the, the photos are, are in the camera. You got to develop the film. Oh, it's 35 millimeter and good luck trying to find a place. Here's the old device I used to record podcasts on in an SD card that might have some random stuff. <laughs> that might be worth something. And finally, in Vulcan, Alberta, Canada news. Vulcan's annual Star Trek convention is scheduled to take place July 28th through 30th. Chris Gautier, the town of Vulcan's community service manager, wrote, quote, planning is under, maybe he can sound like Janeway, planning is underway and we are hoping to see higher traffic in 2023 <laughs> than in previous years, with next year being the 30th anniversary of Vulcan. 30 years? But How have we not been there years. yet? I don't know, but we've got the dates right here for next year. But... Councillor Lyle Manganus, Man, Manganus, Mag Magnuson, Magnuson, thank you, <laughs> him asked or or her asked if that means that Vulcan is now being organized for a different weekend than Spock days. Whoa, there's a conflict. Is, I didn't know there was a Spock days. Yep, which is usually held the second weekend in June. This past June, the events were hosted together on the same weekend. Quote, yeah, we're talking about that, replied Kim Fath, the town's administrator. Mayor Tom Grant said it's too bad that the two events are set to be held on two separate weekends in 2023. I felt that it was successful to go back to a one-weekend event, he said, adding he knows the people who put on Klingon costumes for Vulcan enjoy participating in the Spock Days Parade. Fast said that the main issue with having Spock Days and Vulcan on the same weekend was the availability of venues for both events. Yeah, I'm thinking hotels might be a problem too. But the question is, is it too separate? I mean, as far as places for people to stay, is it two separate groups of people that go to Well, yeah, that's Spock true. It's, 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 it's Star Trek fans or Star Trek fans. <laughs> Yes. I mean, uh, I might pick one or the other, but I think they're probably comparable events. I would, I would think you'd want to separate them, you know, maximize the, the number of people that are coming. Because if you can't make it one weekend, you could always make it another one. And I'm going, right. hmm, that's really close to my class reunion weekend. I don't think I can do both in late July. But, hey, I could still get up the Verspock days in June. So right. I, I think you got a better chance. I I think it makes more sense. I don't think they're going to lose a whole lot of people by separating them. Do you? No, I mean, uh, you know, the local townsfolk are going to be there and from the surrounding area, I'm sure will show up because um, I, if they hold true to the, um, the other uh, permutations of these two events, I mean, yep. there's a lot of just general stuff that happens during them, you know, barbecues and things like that. So, you know, it's a it's a good get together weekend 
regardless of you know which one you choose. So I, I imagine a lot of local people say, yeah, let's 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 do them both. We're going to have to look at our topic as Trek budget because we may only be able to send like one or two people to each event, but we could, we can cover them both instead of all of us going to one event. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So it didn't give the, so did it give the actual. Not for Spock days. Yeah. I'll have to look that one up. See when that one is being held. They're still discussing it. They are. Well, I'm getting to know Mayor Tom Grant really well. He has lots of opinions about things as far as this whole Trek business goes. All right. Now, that was a lot of stories we covered. We covered a lot of ground there with things from Emmy nominations to suggestions on how to get into watching Star Trek to things from Vulcan, Alberta, Canada. But we have links to 48 additional stories in the show notes for episode 127. That's right, Eric. Exactly. And these stories are broken out by movies and series and other categories that we have in there, including comics and toys, all sorts of stuff. You can find them over at the topic is trek.com. So please go there. All right. Now comes my favorite part of the show. And that's when I get to say <clears throat> goodbye, Charlie. I want to stay, stay, stay. <laughs> Oops. My finger slipped on that button there. Sorry yeah, about you're that. You're a little too happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to make sure he never comes back again. He just, he sort of disappeared into the ether. I think you might've missed either way. Yeah. It just went right through him. He's a tricky one. All right. It's time to now go out on our main mission with an appropriate sound effect. Sure. We'll go with that. Communicator. That works. <laughs> All right, we're going to be talking about the latest two episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. So this is your spoiler alert that we will be talking about the latest episode and the one previous to that right now. We don't on get the to topic pl- is Trek. We don't get to play the spoiler alert? Sure, go for it. Done. <laughs> oh, we got one. Okay. All right, I will begin with our first one which is Star Trek Prodigy, Let Sleeping Borg Lie. Oh, I forgot to put the... So this is season one, episode 12, I believe. Up to 12 already? Uh, Written by Deandra Pendleton Thompson. And this is Deandra Pendleton Thompson's first Star Trek script. Deandra has served as a writer's room assistant on Picard, as well as a writer's production assistant on Stranger Things. And so you're aware, a lot of times when you are going through the system to become a writer, that's one of the stages is to be a writer's room assistant. So it's not like, Oh, they were, they were getting coffee and now they're writing for the show. No, you're, you're a writer. You're just getting your, you know, your, your apprenticing, if you will, to get where you need to be. All right. And it was directed by Olga Ulovnova and Sung Shin. Those sound like actual character names. (laughs) Well, then, they might end up there. Who knows? They're cheating, Olga... kind of like Shax's home planet. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Olga's for, uh, third time directing Star Trek. The first two gigs were also for Prodigy. Lunova has been a storyboard artist on, among other things, Prodigy, the Lego Ninjago movie, The Legend of Korra, and Green Lantern, the animated series. And this is Sung Shin's sixth time directing an episode of Prodigy. Hmm. 
Like Ulanova, Sung, uh, Sung Shin has been a storyboard artist for a number of series, including Young Justice, Batman, The Long Halloween, Scooby-Doo, The Sword and the Scoob, and the Guardians of the Galaxy TV series, which an animated series, which I didn't even know existed. All right, mission briefing. This is where we're going to walk you through what happens in roughly the first half of the story. Uh, it's kind of uh, mostly the setups of what happens in the second half is all the payoffs and the the, the, the conflicts. So the crew of the Protostar is on the holodeck watching a visualization of Gwyn's last conversation with her father, the Diviner. He is detailing his plan to destroy the Federation by planting a weapon on the Protostar that will activate upon contact with a Starfleet vessel. Hologram Janeway has no knowledge of such a weapon, but Jankum points out that the ship's Protostar drive had also been wiped from emergency training the emergency training hologram's memory. Boy, that's a tough one to say. Emergency training hologram Janeway's memory. <laughs> Zero orders the holodeck simulation to shut down when they notice the playback has reached the moment when the Medusin reveals her true form to the Diviner, driving him insane. Zero does not wish to harm anyone else. So this is rather upsetting to still a little sore about that. On. Yeah. Murph is still in a state of distress. Rock Talk believes the slime worm has a cold or is upset by the conversation that everyone is having about these events. The crew searches the ship for the living construct and eventually finds it under floor plating on the bridge, the last place you'd look. The weapons, because then you'd stop looking. The, weapons con the weapon consists of a series of nesting rings surrounding a crystalline core. And it kind of looks like what's behind me right now on screen. <laughs> when Jankum fires a phaser at point-blank range, the weapon protects itself from being harmed by the blast. Dal reasons that if the crew can't destroy it, they'll need, a f they'll need to find a way to shut it down. But before they can even begin to map out a plan, the protostar comes face-to-face -face with a Borg cube. Dun, dun, dun. Hologram Janeway explains that the Borg assimilate every species they encounter into their collective. It says that they respond to any attack by adapting themselves until a weapon is useless against them. But Gwyn wonders if the Borg have come across any weapons like the Living Construct and whether they know of a way to disarm it. Saw one on eBay. Hmm. Zero scans the cube and finds that although the ship is functioning, the Borg are dormant. Janeway continues to argue against the plan, but it briefs the crew on everything it knows about the Borg. As the protostar flies through an opening in the cube and lands, hologram Janeway says a neurolithic pathogen shut down the Borg's functions. It advises the crew that the best way to remain invisible to the Borg is to act harmless, but also urges they, them to quickly finish their work. And I think that's, that's a good plan. On board the Dauntless, meanwhile, Vice Admiral Janeway, with a sigh of resignation, orders up a cup of, cup of tea I love from that. the replicator. I love that. <laughs> she tells Ensign Asensia, voiced by Jamila Jamil, that it was an order from her doctor and she wants a second opinion. The two walk together to sickbay to check up on the humanoid they rescued from Tars Lamora, unaware that it is the Diviner. Tellarite Dr. Noom, voiced by Jason Alexander, is very pleased with himself over keeping the patient alive, but balks at the idea of trying to awaken an unknown species without knowledge of their physiology. 
Sensia suggests trying to replicate the bioserum that was in the patient's environmental suit. Janeway orders Noom to proceed with that tactic. All right, so we've set up that now <coughs> we have the crew of the Protostar inside a Borg cube. Always a good idea. <laughs> and we have orders from Janeway to try to awaken the Diviner, although not being called that obviously by the crew of the uh, Dauntless. So from there, we, we, uh, the crew ventures out into the Borg cube and Jenkum seems really, really um, enamored with everything going on. In He's here. an engineer. He likes the, he likes the, uh, the tech. So I can, I can see that he's not aware, fully aware of what the Borg are capable of, of course. Right. Although it's pointed out, he should just look up from hugging the console he's looking at because there is a Borg drone right above him. Yeah. And many others. <laughs> so, so they are on their way to essentially get to um, the data core, if you will, or the, or the connection point um, of inside the Borg cube to, to try to find this information about suggestions on way to disable or destroy the Borg cube. But when they get there, Jankum starts looking for a, a way to interface with the- They uh, have to climb up there, which begs the question, how did all the other Borg get up to their alcoves on the other levels? There's got to be ice. some sort of lift mechanism that they're not aware of. Well, they just climb as well. <laughs> but- um, there's no way for Jankum to uh, interact with the Vinicolum because there's no, there's no console. There's no keyboard. There's not even a joystick. He said, I'd settle for a joystick. <laughs> Hello, computer. <laughs> <laughs> and they realize that they're going to have to go into one of the Borg stations and actually connect in with the Borg, which sounds like an even worse idea than actually just going inside the Borg cube. Yeah. I, I, again, they didn't realize Janeway had told them, but I don't think they fully realized the danger that they're in. Uh, and you know, zero says I'll do it because you know, I'm a Medusan and therefore I, I honestly thought she would make them all crazy. Yeah. From, and she, I think she thought so as well. Yeah, that's not because quite what inside, happens. Right, because when she's inside, um, she's very surprised by the fact that, you know, they're fine. Well, she's been part of a, a collective mind before. So says, I'm the best one suited for this. I know how to you know, separate myself from uh, that hive mind. Uh, but it didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, I mean, she um, she found herself overwhelmed by the experience of being part of a hive mind again, of a, of a collective like that. And, uh, she got herself assimilated and turned green because that's what the Borg do. Everything's green or, or the Romulans, you know, one or the other. (laughs) We did, we did see, uh, thanks to the wonders of CGI, we did see some different shaped Borg than we traditionally do. They weren't all like standard humanoid size, shape and form. Well, I noticed that one of, one of the ones that comes out um, to try to capture the crew is a Tellarite Borg. Very large Tellarite Borg. <laughs> well, it's an adult. I mean, Jankum is just a 
I don't remember how old he's supposed to be, but yeah, he's a he's a young kid. He's a young kid. Yeah, we don't know the uh, aging of Tellarites, you know, like how Vulcans age slower. But anyway, <sighs> they got themselves into a pickle. Right, because when Zero is in connected with the Borg, the Borg start to wake up. And obviously that is a problem because they can't get Zero out. They're they're trying, but Zero is lost inside the Viculum and she won't respond. They decide, well, let's we'll run and we'll come back for her later, which is I'm not sure how much of a plan that is, but it's a plan that they have. They're going to run and they end up getting caught. Everyone except for Gwyn gets caught, but it's, it's weird because they are not immediately assimilated. They're taken to a, right. A a location where they're kind of strapped into this around this drum type thing. And I, I wasn't quite sure what the, what the point of all that was. I mean, obviously the point was we have to delay them getting assimilated until they're rescued. Now I understand that uh, somebody was also theorizing that since this is a show aimed at a younger audience, you can only make the Borg so terrifying. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So terrifying. Well, you know, you yeah. can also write that off as they might've needed time in their maturation chambers. Although, you know, Echep and his crew were, you know, were they were they fully functioning citizens of the collective or were they still like Borg trainees? I see. So they'd go look at a manual or something like that or check some YouTube <laughs> videos on how to assimilate somebody. <laughs> well, it, maybe that's why they were not assimilated right away is because they. Well, I always thought step one was get out the tubules and inject them with nanoprobes and just that's step one of any Borg drone is, you know, inject and away we go and let the process start going. Right. Cause when you, I mean, there was some, I forget whether it was um, generations or one of the Borg episodes on next generation where a crewman is like, goes around a corner and you swear like 30 seconds later, he comes back and he's already Borgified. Yeah. And it seems that that process seems to be going slower and slower and slower now. <laughs> the, the, the Borg have bureaucracy to deal with. Did you sign your papers, Wisnowski? <laughs> it's now a week-long seminar that gets you to be Borgified. I'm watching you, 006. <laughs> Always watching. <laughs> so they have to fend off. One note here is when they're fending off the Borg trying to not get captured and that, that fails. Did you notice that um, little Easter egg that um, Gwyn turns her, that, that weapon, that piece of jewelry that turns the weapons to turn to a batleth, which I thought, well, that's an interesting choice of. How does she know what a batleth is? Well, it's, it's weird because she doesn't know what a Borg is, but she knows a Klingon weapon. However, I think, the premise here is that while we think of that quadrant as very distant, it's not distant from everything. Mm-hmm. And they were dealing with worlds coming and going. And it's possible that there are even some uh, Klingons that were part of the prisoners on Taz Lamora. So perhaps that's how she learned what that was. Um, someone was commenting that they, 
felt it was unrealistic that Gwyn wouldn't know who the Borg are. And my feeling was, all right, even if the Diviner knew who the Borg were, you don't just sit around saying, okay, here's alien species number one, and here's, you know, it, 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 it somehow would have to come up in in the conversation or they would have to be attacked by the Borg, one or the other. You know, just you just don't start rattling off every single type of yeah. species in the known, you know, galaxy. They eventually did find a way to uh, adapt against her weapon as well. Right. As, as they, yeah, they, they shoot with phasers. And at first, you know, Dallas, all, hey, what's the big deal? You know, took one down right away. And they all shoot their phasers and nope, they've adapted already. They just come marching towards them. Which, wait a minute. Haven't they dealt with phasers for like the last 30 years? <laughs> well, that brings up an interesting question about, you know, how, on what deep level, I think, are the Borg connected? You know, is all the information that every Borg cube has disseminated to all the other Borg cubes in total? And everyone in the entire collective has all the information? That was my understanding of how a hive mind works, is everybody knows everything about everything else. Or at least they work together to a common goal. But apparently someone didn't fill out their TPS cover sheets and missed the That's memo. The problem. Well, next Tuesday. The information is coming in next Tuesday to them about you know what, what happens with that. Uh, yeah, so they, they do manage to get through to Zero, who realizes that she's now part of a new collective and that that collective is more powerful than this connection to the Borg. And she breaks free. Just as and she's about ever- to stab Doll in the eye. Uh, uh, Jankum, I believe Jank- she was going to... Yeah. Yeah, that's who, right. It was Jankum. Yep. Who was pleading for no haircut? I don't think it was a haircut <laughs> that Zero was going for at that point. I had to spin anything. There could have been a Floby. I don't know. I, I suppose. But they're able to get off the ship. However, the bad news is that the Borg did analyze not only the Protostar, which is concerning, but the living construct and concluded that there is no way to destroy it and there's no way to remove it from the ship. But they want it. Yes, they want it. They wanted to use it against... They, well, they wanted to help them assimilate other species, and I'm trying to figure out by destroying them. I'm not quite sure how that's yeah. going to work out for you, but maybe they think it's just going to weaken them somehow, which I guess it would. It's technology. It's a weapon. They assimilate. That's what they do. If you're Borg, it's what you do. It's a commercial <laughs> or something. Meanwhile, meanwhile, on the Dauntless, the Diviner awakens and just sits up and, you know, it, it, so he's awake now. And the crew of the Dauntless still has no clue that he is a Diviner. And we're going to find out in the next episode that gets, gets even muckier at that point. Yeah, he's he's not all there. Which we kind of figured... It, the assumption was he wouldn't be there because he got several minutes worth of that blast. I'm surprised he's, he's, he's coherent at all that uh, with that much exposure, his mind should have been pretty much wiped, but right. Maybe he's stronger than a Vulcan or whatever. 
Yeah, because I had the impression that, it, and you know, from things that we saw, like Spock, you know, for a couple of seconds was exposed, and that was it. He was out there for for quite a while. So I don't know. Uh, any interesting things that you found out you uh, you gleaned out of this episode, or things you want to talk about in particular? Uh, unfortunately, I did not have a chance to make copious notes like I usually do on either of these. So. Uh, uh, not on this one, you know, that, that, you know, comes to mind there. I enjoyed it from the level of, uh, they seem to be taking a wonderful turn with the story arc in that, uh, you know, not only do we realize the ship is a weapon, they attacked the radio listening post, but now we've seen the weapon. We know where it is and we know that it can't be uninstalled, turned off or whatever. So this is. This is getting to be a really good story arc from uh, the weapon standpoint. I'm enjoying that. It, it, it's lending a new, like, uh, they discover uh, we really can't go to Starfleet without destroying Starfleet. So, uh, and we're being labeled as thieves. And uh, I forget if it's in this episode or the next one where, where Janeway says, this is now no longer a rescue mission. It's, it's a manhunt or, or words to that effect. So the really, uh, it's not like you could just say, here's your ship back. They can't do that. It's, it, it's like they're getting into a no win scenario. Right. Right. Absolutely. They can't, they can't, I mean, yeah, it's not, you don't want to hand the protostar back to, you know, Vice Admiral Janeway going, here you go. Have, have fun. Yeah. You can't give it back to the diviner cause he's clearly lost it and probably wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. So one thing, I, one thing I noticed in this episode, which probably other people noticed before, that when they're watching the holographic playback of Gwyn talking to the Diviner, which I am confused about how that video is, is like who created that? <laughs> who, who, yeah, right? where, who was running the camera on that thing? Because you go beyond some stuff, you know, that the Gwyn didn't have like all the information on. So it can't just be her memories that she fed in. I don't know. It's, but you have zero in the scene where everybody, the, the zero watching right? and zero has legs. And then as zero moves in, when she, I think when she yells stop to the, the hollow, holodeck the legs are gone and i noticed that the legs go up into the body oh so they go up into the the cylinder and i thought well yeah there's really not a lot else in there <laughs> i mean there's got to be some sort of me mechanics of some kind but uh connections for the arms and so forth but yeah this you know if, if they collapse up like a telescope yeah, yeah you can you can put the legs in there did Zero get new hands from the Borg? Is that what I seem to recall? Uh, in the episode, and I didn't think to look to see if if they still have them after the episode is over in the next episode. So that's I'll have to go back and look at that. Because, okay. yeah, Jenkins makes a comment that, you know, she get an upgrade. And when he realizes he was going to be assimilated, oh, I can skip the upgrade. I'm fine. Just, you know, just let me out of here. No problem. <laughs> All right, so the, all that said, it's time to rate this first one. This is the cleverly titled 
let sleeping Borg lie. Hmm, what's our rating system for this one? I mean, logically, it should be Borg, right? Or Yeah, cubes. I, I... Let's go with Borgs. Okay. Borgs it is. They're disposable. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I will go first on this one. I enjoyed the episode, but I felt like it was hampered by the fact that I felt they had to tone the Borg down a bit. You know, we have the discussion about why yeah. wasn't the crew assimilated immediately. And even though there are probably reasons for it in the bigger scheme of how to present the show, I felt like that hurt. It, and, you know, the Borg have become so much in every permutation of Star Trek now that you don't want to cheapen the Borg. And I felt like, okay, this wasn't really getting them back to this big level again. It was kind of still having them in a weakened state where. Yeah, they were asleep. They didn't assimilate right away. They were, they were yeah, they were uh, a very tame Borg. So I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give this one a seven and a half. It almost reminded me of uh, you know, Star Wars episodes one, two, and three, where oh, we're just going to shoot at robots now because <laughs> we don't want to make this too violent. We don't want to see people die. Uh, never mind Anakin and all the younglings, but back to Star Trek, uh, seven and a half, you say. <coughs> I'm going to I'm going to give it an eight, slightly higher. I liked the overarching storyline. I'm willing to put the tame Borg aside, but I could certainly appreciate your opinion that yeah, they they were they were a little light. Now, before we move on to the next episode, I was reading an article that was talking about some theories about this episode and its relationship to the Borg in general and connections to Voyager and to Picard. And the theory, if I'm understanding it correctly, theory is that since this show takes place after Voyager, then when the <clears throat> protostar comes, uh, excuse me, when the protostar comes in contact with this Borg cube, Janeway mentions that they are um, all under this um, neurogenic, what is it? The neurogenic, neuro, neurolytic Neurolog pathogen, yeah. which is what Janeway used in Endgame, a Voyager, to knock out the Borg. Ah, good right, job, so writers. Good job. Now, the theory goes on to say, that Zero wakes up the Borg and we see the local Borg ship getting woken up, but perhaps other Borg cubes also woke up as a result of this. And the theory continues that Zero puts the Borgs back in a dormant state. And this is the artifact that this is the Borg cube that the Romulans find. And there are Romulans later in this season of Prodigy mm. that the Romulans find and take after probably a bit of a battle because it was damaged as 
the artifact that we see in Picard. Oh, wow. That's a heck of a, a red string to put between the pins. Right. I mean, I think that the first part, because it stood out to me right away that the neurolytic pathogen part yeah. of it said, well, wait a minute, that's, that's what Janeway used. So right, I, right. To me, that part was, okay, yeah, I, I, I follow you there. I'm not sure if I can follow, and I might even follow through, zero is not just woken up one cube. Right. But is it the artifact? Uh, you know, that one, I, it starts to get a little mushy, I think, at that point. But I, I'd be happy to be proven wrong because I thought it'd be a great little Easter egg type of weaving things together. But we'd have to see if that actually happens. Sure. I'm, not, I'm not convinced just from the what we see that that's what would happen. All right. So that said, we're going to move on to our second episode. And Chuck is going to tell us about that one. Well, if you had episode 12, I must have episode 13 from season one. All the World's a Stage, written by Aaron J. Waltke. Uh, we gave a short biography on Aaron in episode 106. So, well, for us, that's almost a year ago. <laughs> it is directed by Andrew L. Schmidt. And Andrew is an animation director on Prodigy. This is his first time directing an episode of the series. His long list of film credits include work on films such as The Iron Giant, Monsters, Inc. Hey, we just did Roz. Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, The Incredibles, and Toy Story 3. He's also a director on Guillermo del Toro's award-winning trilogy series, Tales of Arcadia, Troll Hunters. So here's your mission briefing from that episode. The Diviner is Conscious and speaking with Vice Admiral Janeway. The Vau Nakat is, is only able to recall a few pieces of information. He identifies an image of Chakotay and says that he was taken prisoner. He sees glimpses of Gwyn, the decimated surface of Solom, and he knows he must stop some incursion. I, I, I picture, like, McCoy. Murderers! Assassins! Exactly. Because his thoughts are so jumbled, he can't figure out what any of that means. Dr. Gnome, is that I'm saying that right? I, I, well, I think it's no, no, um, no, um. Yes, I know him. <laughs> Have you yeah, been introduced? Right there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Dr. Gnome sedates the diviner. <laughs> Shut up and go back to sleep. Ensign Asensia reports that a single escape pod from the destroyed relay station, CR721, has been located, but the pod is empty. Barnes Frex was rescued by an unidentified vessel. The Dauntless is tracking that ship's warp signature. Meanwhile, the protostar is in orbit around a planet that has sent out a distress signal. We learn that there has been no progress made in neutralizing the living construct weapon. In fact, through her brief connection to the Borg, Zero learned that even opening a hail to Starfleet could trigger the infection. Wow, we thought internet viruses were bad. This is terrible. Bringing the crew, uh, briefing the crew on planet, Hologram Janeway says that a subspace distortion field is hampering sensors, but there are definitely life signs on the surface. Despite protests from Jankum, the crew beams down, of course. All except Rock Talk, who is watching over Murph, who's still fighting COVID, apparently. Something's up with Murph and not doing well. On the surface, the team runs into two of the inhabitants, Sul U and James T. 
The pair identify the protostar crew as being from Starflight. <laughs> this is where it gets comical, people. <laughs> and they say the distress signal was something named the call of Ensan. I, I was having a hard time keeping a straight face with this episode. <laughs> Everything these humanoids say is cor- a corrupted version of wording that would have been used by the original crew of the Enterprise, such as live logs and proper. But it doesn't stop here. They, along with other inhabitants, have built a huge dwelling that roughly mimics the shape of the iconic ship, and they call it New Enterprise. So these so-called Enterprisians even practice what could best be called Kirk Fu fighting techniques. Yes, the double fist punches back. It lives on in this civilization. And so does boxing your opponent's ears. <laughs> Good stuff, people. Good stuff. The inhabitants, this is almost, I, I was almost going for a lower decks here. It's like, all right, who let, the lower, lower decks. Who let, who let the lower decks writers on the prodigy staff? <laughs> yeah. The inhabitants present a play that they refer to as The Logs, and it outlines the story of the Enterprise coming to their planet 100 years ago. It infers that the crew discovered the inhabitants were in danger but could not interfere. Ah, the... The, I'm trying to massacre Prime Directive into something, but it's not coming right now. <laughs> then one red-shirted crew member, of course, Ensan, volunteered to go down to the planet. When he arrived, Ensan offered a way of peace, but also brought a warning. The inhabitants were not to go near a certain wooded area, lest they be cursed by the gallows. And with his dying breath, he vowed that Starflight would come and rid the inhabitants of the gallows. Dahl orders the crew back to the protostar, feeling like these are just people living a lie. And of course, he feels the same. It's like these people, they're wearing like, cheesy costumes and you know, they're not Starfleet. And then you, you realize very quickly, neither are we. Right. But just then, a young Enterprisean, Cadet Huura, <laughs> this is brilliant brilliant stuff returns from the woods she's coughing and weak and collapses in doll's arms she has signs of an infection on her face she collapses and she claims to have seen the gallows and more than that she's now infected doll with the curse Mm -hmm. so they're not leaving they're not going anywhere at this point because well you know they don't know what's what's happened to 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 doll nope um they take him to uh the be the sick bay on a ship I, they would probably call it a sick bay as well or some <laughs> variant of that the stick bay and <laughs> <Yes>. um <laughs> commander spork no what was what was us uh, uh what was spock's name in this world uh, uh Sprock. 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 That's what it was. I was close. I just had the, you got to mess it up even further than I did. <laughs> and um, so Dr. Boons <laughs> is taking care of them. And of course, yeah, you I'm, know, I'm, these I'm are all getting the, 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 the speaking. The characters were speaking. You know, there was a bad William Shatner stilted mm-hmm. dialogue going on from James T. There was uh, you know, Mr. Sprock, his one line most illogical <laughs> and i don't know if you noticed but when 
they're I forget where it happens, but they're going someplace and Sulu says, my, my, <laughs> my, my, you just want to scream at the screen and you say, no, the lines are wrong. <laughs> this, <laughs> this had a, right. this had a hint of the Omega glory from TOS, you know, the Epobnista thing, like. You, you you haven't watched it in so long, you don't even know what the right words are anymore or what they mean. So that that came back to mind and I thought, okay, good. If that's what they were aiming for, they hit the deep cut on that one. Yeah, because, I mean, they're, they're going for something that this is something that's been passed down from generation to generation for, you know, around 100 years. And everything's gotten a little, I mean, first of all, probably you know, Ensign, who we find get identified later in another deep cut of who this person actually is, but um, he's bringing concepts since they're a pre-warp society that they're having trouble grasping. So I think that especially that initial generation that actually dealt with the Ensign didn't really understand every word he said and get the gist of the words. Yeah. And so that's, I think the beginning of the bastardization of everything that they said. Well, and languages evolve over time. We're well mm-hmm. aware of that, that, you know, the words you say today, uh, if, if you watch um, like Atlas shrugged, you'll get that as well. Uh, this also had a feeling of a piece of the action from TOS as well. Right. Which is, Initially, what I thought it was going to be, yeah. Uh, when we saw that first shot, when we saw the big wide shot of everybody in the green uniforms, it just had that kind of. Well, now they've discovered this technology; they're basing their entire civilization on this, on you know the the medical tricorder type of thing. Yeah, we've seen this storyline hit, but this was a different take on it, uh, because in order to heal Doll and. Lahura, what was her name? I can't remember. Hura. Hura. Yeah. And I noticed that she was, and interesting enough, I noticed she was cadet. It's almost like, okay, we're going to tie this somehow to Strange New Worlds because (laughs) it's cadet Uhura in this one. Yeah. Maybe they didn't get quite all the historical documentaries right. There, how's that for a Galaxy Quest reference? Sure. <laughs> There's another tie-in. This could be, you know, interpreted as, you know, a Galaxy Quest thing, too. It's like, we've mimicked our society after yours. Like, uh, you know, that was a show, right? The uh, Yeah, except that, that I mean, that we find, do find out that, you know, Dr. Boons says that, you know, they're aware that they're not Starfleet, you know, and all this kind of stuff. They, it, to them, it's more a case of having the sense of hope. And believing the things that the Federation or Federation believes in. Yeah, right? it, if goals. you believe, that's good enough. And and that kind of brings Dahl around as well. It's like, hey, you know what? I think you know, we can fix this if we believe as well. But they need to find the source of this poisoning, this problem, to be able to heal both of them. Uh, so Jankum... And Gwyn and Rock Rock beams down uh, with EV suits. They go into the cave of the gallows. And what do we find? Well, first of all, we find these big glowing things, which 
that you know that's the thing that would be the big glowing eyes that's what they had in their play too they had right. you know these glowing spheres but it turns out that those are parts of the nacelles and the gallows is another misinterpreted word for the galileo space shuttle like aha mm-hmm. uh-huh. that's when i went that that's when i i snapped and went good writing this is totally, I had no idea what was coming, what was in this cave making these growling noises. It's leaking um, uh, pla- it's warp, plasma. Plasma, warp plasma from the nacelles. In, it poisoned the water and it's having a, a reaction to a cave full of dilithium crystals. So what happens when you do that? You get all kinds of subspace interferences so you can't beam in or communicate out. Uh, and uh, uh, so... Jankum says, I'm going to go in to the shuttle, which is teetering on the edge of this cliff, about to fall into a lake, which will blow the whole hillside sky high. And uh, And they're urging him not to do it. And I love what he said, because I felt like, yeah, he's got to do this. He says, if if we come across one more thing Pog can't fix, then Pog can't call himself an engineer. Because essentially he's given over everything to Rock Talk because he's going, I, do, I can't figure out how to do this. I don't know what that is. And oh, he's good supposed pickup. to be able yeah. to do it. Yeah, good pickup. I did not make that connection right away. So thank you. And he's he's listening to the Ensign's last, so Ensign is clearly an indicator of the person's rank that came from the Enterprise. Uh, and he's listening to the playback of his last log entry. And you you get a little more clarification of what happened. And it wasn't too far off from their original story that, you know, he came down, there was non-interference thing going on. And uh, you know, he says, I thought I was coming here to save these people. And it turns out they saved me. So it was. So I'm guessing that because your first thought is, well, why would the Enterprise leave knowing that the shuttle was gone? <laughs> and my guess is that. They performed a search and they couldn't find the ship because, because it was, there was in subspace cave. interference and they just searched as much of the planet as they could and they just couldn't find the shuttle. Right. That's my guess. I thought the, uh, you know, now that they know the source of the problem, because Jankum was able to communicate with the Galileo's communicator out of this cave, even though. Because it used duotronics. <laughs> wow. That's, that was a call, sweet callback too. He uses duotronics. Yeah. And he was able to tell Zero what the issue was and zero just goes punch 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 now i can synthesize an antidote Psst. like that was really fast <laughs> and the reaction to them getting the antidote was pretty fast too you know you know dallas like oh, i'm fine <laughs> yeah, we're on the clock here <laughs> <laughs> um I'm, I'm trying to remember where we took the story after that so uh to backtrack a bit the ensign is ensign garavik and Ensign Garavik was the crew member on the original series who was the son of the Captain Garavik and Kirk had been on the ship and had been, attack, been attacked by that monster that had the sickly sweet smell. Oh, yeah. Right. So Obsession. we've seen actually Ensign Garavik in one episode. Uh, and that is who, because he identifies himself uh, in the log here. That is who crashes in the shuttle. Wow. Someone was studying their cannon on this one. And apparently, and I, I had forgotten this 
but I was reading on Memory Alpha in relation to this, to this episode. And by the way, Memory Alpha, I love you. You're a great resource, but, but. <laughs> you've got to get your act together on the Prodigy episodes. The the, the recaps are uh, they're they're not they're not to the usual standards. I don't know. I feel like I'm beginning to feel like my show notes might end up being something I just <laughs> transfer over there. Um, but the I would have to go back and look, but apparently at one point in the original series, the Galileo becomes Galileo 2. It's on, the, oh. apparently it's on the side of the Galileo. And so this is like, okay, we've got, we've now got a window here. We lose the Galileo and that's how we lose the Galileo. So, uh, you know, nice way in, of like, yeah. Sewing a in. bunch of stuff together without having the fan theory about the Borg and everything. You just kind of do it on screen. And there it is. And the crew is still left wondering, what are we supposed to do? Because we can't contact Starfleet. We've got a stolen ship. They're going to come after us. They don't know that the Diviner is aboard the Dauntless. So there's there's still that unknown. Uh, you know, <laughs> I they have to find... They, they can't come in contact with another Starfleet ship. They need, well, to, they need to find like a Romulan ship and say, hey, or, or maybe a Tellarite <laughs> ship. Well, Tellarites are yeah. part of the Federation. How do you uh, yeah. how do you get a third party to convey your story? Well, I thought it was interesting at the end of the episode, Dallas saying, if we can't take the ship to Starfleet, we'll find another way without the Protostar. Yeah. So maybe their solution is, well, we're just going to park the Protostar someplace Fly it into a sun? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something's got to be able to to kill it. Or or if it explodes. Yeah, that's it. You make a star, a member of the Federation, and then you take the protostar there. Perfect. <laughs> and they, I um, thought the ending of this episode was also intriguing, too. You find out that uh, Murph may not have been sick, just going through some sort of metamorphosis. If you yeah, will. Met- did you say metamorphosis? I did say that. <laughs> TM. <laughs> I'm still misinterpreting the lyrics from the logs here. <laughs> and uh, I think it was, I think it was Janeway and uh, hologram Janeway's. No, uh, I think it was Dal saying that apparently the rules on second contact are kind of fuzzy. I, I had a, uh, yeah, I had a second. That was the episode one of, Lower Deck season one, second contact. I'm like, oh, did we just reference Lower Decks too? <laughs> I think, well, I think they've kind of referenced Lower Decks by doing this episode, <laughs> you know, pretty much outright. The interesting thing is that watching this by itself, you'd, you'd say, oh, this is a really silly show. Why, why are they doing this? But it came after very intense episodes. And I think they're doing that. Okay. They all can't be like, yeah dire consequences this is all doom and gloom you know or just the, the the you know and ends in these downers of well we can't get to starfleet we can't become members of the federation so this one really was more of a this is kind of what star trek is about you know having hope in hopeless situations and those type of things and have something that's a bit lighter and a bit more uplifting Ultimately, yeah, the thread is still there. I mean, they 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 still reference it. The 
you know, the ship is a weapon, the diviner is on board this other, and, and they're coming after. So I, it wasn't completely whitewashed as, hey, let's have a comical, funny episode. But it right. was, you're right. This was much lighter than the last one. And I think that's on, it's on, it's on purpose just to not have everything be very monotone and uh, high stakes for, although the, I suppose the enterprisians might feel it was high stakes for them. They were going to be killed by the, by the gallows if nothing was done, but. I can just imagine what the enterprisians would have thought of the Bork. (laughs) 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 Did you watch the last episode? Oh yes. Those Bork, Bork, Bork were funny. (laughs) Alrighty then. I also got to kick out of the fact that the enterprisians beam up with doll because he needs to go down to the planet and he doesn't have any crew left. And Janeway says, well, as soon as you hit, you know, the atmosphere, I'm going to be knocked out. So you won't even have that. And he, so he brings them up and they look at all the consoles and stuff after they gawk at the fact they're in space and look, look, look at the consoles and they're like, Oh, this, well, yeah, that was intriguing. I, yeah, they're, they're pressing stuff and it just like, they don't understand it all. So Dal says, you got anything else? And so Janeway has him call up the mid 23rd century bridge. Constellation glass. And it transforms the bridge or at least a good chunk of it to effectively the bridge of the enterprise. So they go, Oh, this I know, which almost sounded like she said, she said, remap all the controls to match what these things would be. Half half the buttons don't do anything because there's no direct mapping. (laughs) So presumably, you know, the console over, you know, the left of the captain's chair on the Protostar has now been remapped to be at the nav station, that type of stuff. I, I got a uh, original Jurassic Park moment. I know this. <laughs> this, this is Unix. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, she didn't say this is Unix, fortunately. But the transporter worked and everything, so they were fine getting everybody off the planet. And they were able to, yeah, go into the cave, get everybody out at the last second. So just as the gallows fell into the pool. Yeah, poor Galileo. We hardly knew you. Low mileage. Yeah, exactly. Rough rough life. (laughs) Instead of a little like carving the side, Spock was here, you know, type of one at some place. All right. Uh, what are we rating this on? I, I dare I ask. God, we have so many. I don't know. I came up with the last one. Oh, what do you got for what do you what do you want to do for this one? Um, we could rate it on the uh, those fuzzy creatures, the terribles. <laughs> I'm gonna keep going with this as long as I can. <laughs> You're having too much fun with this episode. All right, so uh, one to ten terribles, huh? I'm gonna I. I, oh, you I went first admit. last time. We should reverse order. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I forgot that I went last. Yes, yeah, go ahead. I had I had a lot of fun watching this, and I think that the story arc is still there. Uh, I'm I'm going with a solid nine on this one. There were you know, some wonderful deep cuts that I didn't even pick up till you mentioned them. Like, wow, okay, uh, you know, Enson and who he really was, and filling in that whole storyline. I just thought it was, you know, somebody went down to the planet, crashed in a bad spot, and. You know, we have another, uh, uh, you know, kind of like lower decks bird marriage thing going on. <laughs> he's no peanut hamper. We're not going back to that. Yeah, he's no peanut hamper. There's a t-shirt for you. 
So yeah, solid nine on this one. All righty. Before I give my ratings, I'm going to see. We got another comment in here. Uh, let's see. The Enterpriseians have the Ensign's communicator, which is not infected. Maybe they could use it. Ah, I see what you're saying. We can call Starflight. Oh, that brings up uh, an interesting point that um, they showed uh, Ensign's uniform and his phaser. Yep, those run a wall in in sick bay because that's where you want to put it. Apparently, <laughs> it's a but, good place to memor- memorialize dead people because <laughs> because it's a red shirt. That's what you put in sick bay. Um, it was strange because it was this weird hybrid. It was a strange new worlds type uniform. Yeah, but it had an original series. Delta shield on it with, with the insignia, you know, the, the, right. The raised insignia on, on like the fabric background and, and the, and the, the yeah, like the number six, you know, icon, you know what I'm talking about. And which is supposed to be like a gear or something. And it had an original series phaser. So it was kind of this trying to meld the two things together. It's a little known they... uniform between the two because yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah, they're always changing uniforms according to uh, Boimler. So what about <laughs> if we just make a patch instead of this uh, the solid metal thing? What do you think about that? Is that going to work for you? Did you did you did you get the, you know, what did you think yeah, what did you think about the boots with the flaps on them? <laughs> it's like <laughs> nah, those will never go. All right, but to my rating, I'm going to go with you. I'm uh, rating this one a nine as well. I've watched it a couple of times now, going through to, to do up notes and so forth. And uh, there's some stuff that's still, I don't know, I, I chuckle every time we get to the uh, doll running into the first two Enterprisians. And you have James T. <laughs> and Sewell <Ooh. laughs> My, Ooh, my. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. We want to well see more done. of those people. The lower decks people need to go visit this planet. That would be just too much. <laughs> well, those rules about third contact. Yeah, it's going to be a swing by mission. The, sw- you know? the Cerritos does a swing by mission. <laughs> what are they talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> All right, so it's time to come back from main mission with an appropriate sound effect. Hmm. How about the subterranean elevator? <laughs> Poor kitty. <laughs> uh, and our warp speed roundtable. Now, this is a just a poser. Uh, it's based off of an article I was starting to read, and um, it's in the linked in the show notes, but. Just going to go between two characters. I'm asking, who was the better anti-hero, do you oh. feel, in Star Trek? Garrick or Q? Wow. Where do you come up with these? So Garrick, on the one hand, you know, being simple Taylor, as referenced earlier in this episode, but really was a spy and worked with the Federation but really remained a Cardassian and, you know, did things that, as we know, that needed to be done as Cisco had him do. He said, well, you, this is what you were expecting me to do, wasn't it? And he 
Cisco did expect him to to kill um, the Romulan. Or you have Q, who constantly would put the crew of the Enterprise in danger, uh, threatening basically all of humanity in some cases, ending existence, that type of thing. And then he gets all warm and fuzzy with Jean-Luc at the end of season two of Picard, and they're hugging and so forth. And so who do you think is the better anti-hero, Chuck? I'm going to go with Garrick on this one. I think he was he was more mysterious. Just when you think you're finding things out, you're not really sure of what you think you found out. Uh, so we kind of took that journey with Julian, Bashir, and and you're still left with, who is this guy at the end? Whereas Q, you they unfolded more of his backstory, what it meant to be a Q, uh, you know, even the Q who wanted to end his life. There was there was some depth to that character. And the more he understood him, the less mysterious and ominous he became. Yes, he's omnipotent and all-powerful and, like you said, could end all of humanity in a snap of the finger. Uh, I liked the character, don't get me wrong. I I loved him through, uh, you know, all the way through the end of the the, the TNG series. Uh, not best of both worlds. It's um all all good things. Sorry, I had a mental block there. And and even into Picard when he comes back, but uh, I just thought Garrick was um, a better recurring character that fit into the fabric of that story, whereas Q seemed more like a guest appearance here and there just to mix things up. And yes, we're going to have to deal with the the consequences of that for years to come. But I like I Garrick's got my vote on this one. Yeah, I tend to agree with you that you can define anti-hero in many ways, but mm-hmm. I felt with with him, if he went with you on something, the fact that you might go, why is he doing that? I'm not sure I'm really wanting him to be siding with me on this or coming along with me. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't sure of the decision one way or the other. I was like, yeah, is he going to stab me in the back or rescue me? I'm not sure how this is going to go down. <laughs> if he says you're right, does that mean you're wrong type of thing? <laughs> so he always kept you on your toes. And while Q kept Picard and the and the crew of the Enterprise on their toes, I felt like it was mostly for his amusement. Right. Or he felt like he was teaching them a lesson or, you know, something that it it wasn't revealing him as this mysterious character Garrick, so I would Garrick might be the victim of multiple writer syndrome he just never was established <laughs> he's a dessert topping he's a floor wax <laughs> he's both come on there we go all right that's what we think about did you give this oh I'm sorry I was I was expecting a rating on this one like no this isn't the part of the show where we give ratings <laughs> no I know we could we could but if I we're gonna uh, Garrick's accuse how about that but what do you think? If you have a thought on who you think is the better anti-hero, we'll drop a note over on a Facebook page, the facebook.com slash the topic is Trek, and we'd love to hear your opinion on it. But for right now, it's time to refill the dilithium chamber and warp on out of here. You can find me, Clinton, over at Comedy Forecast, all one word with the number four.com, just wrapped up. 
the big musical event so you can listen to that all the way through. Just go to comedyforecast.com slash 2022 and you'll get to the first episode of the musical if you want to do it that way. And who speaks for you guys, he says questioningly. <laughs> I'll speak for me and Craig. Uh, you can find us over at Tack Your Mama Podcasts. <laughs> no, wait. That's still all right. I'm well, enterprising to get nothing right. Stop. I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> you can find us by searching for Technorama Podcast. It's over at chuckchat.com, but there's other places you'll find it on the internet. Uh, you know, many of the same places you find Clinton, but uh, yeah, we, we do our show every Sunday night, just nerd out with some news and reviews and uh, all over the place. Get some great stories from the past and even a historical segment. I still think we're the only podcast that celebrates nuclear physicists. <laughs> Nobel Prize laureates. That's what it was. Ah, there are a dime a dozen. All right. Time to hit the theme, boys. Is it? Is it really? It is really. Should, do we have to ask Charlie X about this one? No. Oh, no. <laughs> if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about it and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter at The Topic is Trek. Visit our Facebook page or visit thetopicistrek.com. Until next time, on behalf of Chuck, Craig, and myself, I'm Clinton, thanking you for listening. And as we always say here on The Topic is Trek, don't, don't, Pazans. The, the plaid <laughs> skirt. Plaid skirt. There you, the plaid there you go. <laughs>